This is Ozarks at Large for Thursday, September 8th, 2022. I'm Kyle Kellams. The Northwest Arkansas Welcoming Week, designed to build strong connections and affirm the importance of a welcoming and inclusive region, officially gets started tomorrow. However, some events in the area today and tonight, like the Art on the Bricks, Art Walk, and Rogers, get a jump on the annual observation. We'll have much more about Welcoming Week on tomorrow's show. We welcome you right now to today's show and start with a combination of art and infrastructure. As housing developments, individual living structures and complexes are popping up around northwest Arkansas, a housing crisis persists. Ozarks at Large's Anna Pope reports Crystal Bridges Architecture at Home exhibition shows the perspective of five architectural firms with the goal of starting conversations on rethinking ideas about housing, customization, and what exactly creates a home. There is an old shack in the woods on the Oneida Reservation in Wisconsin Chris Cornelius would come across while riding his bike as a kid. Stories Cornelius heard about the shack made it more than a structure. He says this was when he knew architecture was more than a means to provide shelter. It could move people's emotions. But architecture has the ability to be a character and a story and a sort of larger mythology of a community. And I just always think about that. I just always think about that check. And to be honest, in some ways, the things that I do are trying to have that quality. I'm trying to make things that do that. Cornelius is a citizen of the Oneida Nation, the chair of the architecture program at the University of New Mexico, and the principal architect of Studio Indigenous. His structure, Not My Hud House, is one of the five 500-square-foot contemporary housing prototypes in Crystal Bridges' Architecture at Home exhibition on the Orchard Trail. For Cornelius, this piece is personal because he grew up in a Hud house. My experience really comes from my own experience, to be honest. Like, growing up, I mean, the whole thing that I've done at Crystal Bridges is based on the HUD house that I grew up in, which was government subsidized housing on an indigenous reservation in Wisconsin. And so growing up in that community, realized that housing is a huge issue. It's well known that even the sort of list of people that are trying to get into the same kind of housing that I was in was extensive at that time and still is. Cornelius reflected on his childhood house and what the structure lacked, like a good way to get water off of the roof for the project. Then he researched HUD houses on indigenous reservations from southern Canada and throughout the United States. Cornelius found these houses are similar in shape, insulation, foundation, footing, and materials. Cornelius says he experienced how people in his community had to adjust to their houses rather than their houses reflecting them. And the quality of housing is also an issue how these homes are built and how people are expected to live. Like all of that was then, to be honest, all of it was just about like having a home and a place to live. Cornelius's plywood and steel house in the exhibition faces the east and most of the structure is covered in engraved silver jingles tied with leather string. There's a 27-foot high chimney hearth, a rain garden, porch, and the interior has stamps lining the wall, commenting on the forced removal of indigenous people and the housing they had to live in. For, well, first of all, it's an awareness that you know, we have communities that are basically like third world countries and the wealthiest nation in the world. And those are indigenous reservations. We're talking 
you know, millions of people that are living in substandard housing, and we can't ignore that. If you want to, you can walk around the outside over here and pop into the other side, or you can go around um, the front over there. I encourage going into both sides of the structure just to look at the beauty of, of what it is. This is Dylan Turk, and he curated the exhibition. Turk says he, like others in northwest Arkansas, faced challenges in the region's market. The concept really came out of probably about five or six years ago. I was witnessing the housing situation that we're in uh, locally in northwest Arkansas, the crisis of seeing bungalows torn down, seeing people needing houses, and this kind of ever-growing inflation and bubble of the, how, the cost of living, and really wondering what can be done. The architecture firms featured are Mutuo, Studio Indigenous, Levenbets, Pires Palacitos Arquitectos Asociados, and Studio Sumo. Each firm focused on different aspects of housing, ranging from emphasizing the histories of negation, using local resources and sustainability, to embracing the connection of the natural world. Turk says he initially thought this exhibition would be featuring solutions for housing. And what I ended up learning and what this exhibition is actually about is really the important relationship between us as human beings and the spaces in which we live and how communities can leverage these spaces to make our communities happier, more sustainable, more diverse, and frankly, work better as a, as a place to live. Sorry, these are all very dense, so I'm going to try and go a little quicker with what we're talking about. Um, Another house on the trail surrounded with a grid of deconstructed pillars is called Untitled. It's a pink, red, and gray angular structure with handcrafted wood columns and pottery from northern Mexico closer at the core of the installation. Jose Harasi and Fernanda Opperman lead Mutuo, the architectural firm that designed the installation. Harasi says it is meant to show the rigidity of housing systems and what the center of housing should be. In the exhibit, as an example, we used wood columns and pottery columns that were handcrafted in Mexico. And those are to signify the cultural baggage, if you want to call it that, that people bring from where they're from, their remembrances, their food, their smells, thing, you know. To us, customization is that it's making somebody's house a home by including and adding some of their personal needs and stories, feelings and stories, yeah. The design started with their friend Abraham. He immigrated from Mexico and is an L.A. contractor who cannot build his own house. And he's like super skilled. Like if he could buy land, he would have built his house, but he's spending money renting. So all these personal stories around us and our own is that informed us with our project. Their experience designing and building in L.A. made them focus the piece on what Harasi describes as a system of systems, making it difficult for many to access housing. He says they identified four basic parts, land acquisition, financing, permitting, and construction. And this is sort of the premise for the exhibit, is that with some flexibility in each of those systems, more people would be included. For them, their work is not only addressing systematic barriers, but also getting to the center of what makes a home. Opperman says the soul of a home is the bond people form with the space, and this is not immediate. We were immigrants. I'm from Brazil. He's from Mexico. And I think that's what kind of made us see the world in a particular way or like our experiences here were guided by that in a way. 
So I think we uh, we really start with this premise of looking through the lens of an immigrant, right? We are not from here, but still we feel kind of home here, but not fully home. Both architects have this connection with ideas and spaces. Harassi says recently architecture has been about limitation, but he is drawn to the colors and aspects of older colonial cities and towns. I, I like ornamentation. I like uh, something that is uh, more than just function. I think those, those sort of older towns, uh, I connect with that. When Opperman thinks of home, she is reminded of the smells and her grandmother's simple home in southern Brazil. So that to me is home, that feeling that you're completely comfortable and happy, excited. I mean, we try, we make home where we are, but I think I'm always brought back to those memories. For Ozarks at Large and the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio One at the Carver Center for Public Radio, I'm Anna Pope. There is a bigger need for more housing for students in Fayetteville than ever before. The University of Arkansas is reporting a record number of students enrolled in classes this fall semester. There are 30,936 combined undergraduate, graduate, and law students at the U of A. That's an 8.3% increase compared to last year's enrollment, which also set a record. The freshman class, the largest in school history, just fewer than 7,100 students. And there is a record number of students from Arkansas nearly 15,500. Northwest Arkansas Community College also reporting an increase in enrollment with 9,475 fall students. That's almost an 11% increase over this time last year. Arkansas lawmakers are considering the effectiveness of solar power and net metering. During a meeting yesterday of the Joint City, County, and Local Affairs Committee, a series of speakers discussed alternative energy. Glenn Hooks, policy manager at Audubon Delta, says ultimately solar power is the best source of energy for the environment. So I mentioned earlier that historically dirty power plant emissions have been a harmful downside of producing electricity. But when we deploy solar power, we eliminate this downside. We eliminate these harmful emissions, and we're harnessing the power of the sun, that's free fuel, uh, to create electricity. So either way, when we deploy solar energy, we aren't burning anything, we're not emitting any pollutants. That means cleaner air and healthier citizens here in the natural state. Hooks says solar power is continuing to expand statewide as municipalities and businesses are adding solar arrays. He says he does not think Arkansans have to choose between a healthy environment and a healthy economy. Hooks sparred a bit with Senator Gary Stubblefield, a Republican from Branch, who questioned him about the prevalence of solar panels that are made in China. They have most of the palladium and cobalt that's used to make solar panels on the planet. Okay, I'll trust your statistic on that, sir. So we're not only relying on them for drugs now, we're relying on them for solar panels to to heat our country. You know, we're importing some solar panels from China right now. I think recent legislation is turning that around, and we're going to see more American jobs invested in not only making solar panels, uh, but also deploying and installing solar panels, which is, I think, exactly the right direction for us to go. Some lawmakers yesterday suggested solar power isn't as reliable as coal-fired power. They also raised concerns about the life of solar panels and suggested they could eventually fill landfills. Time now for today's Northwest Arkansas Business Journal report. I'm Paul Gatling. The state's new broadband director has been on the job for a little more than a month, and he's already gauging where Arkansas can excel even further with Internet connectivity. An interview with Glenn Howey is on today's program. Also ahead, details about a University of Arkansas business incubator that will double in size this fall. 
and a six-figure donation from the Walmart Foundation and the Alice L. Walton Foundation for farmer's markets. Those stories and more are on the way next on today's Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report. Support for the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report is provided by the Arkansas State Chamber of Commerce and Associated Industries of Arkansas. The Chamber's mission is to promote a pro-business, free enterprise agenda and prevent legislation, regulation, and rules that hinder business. ArkansasStateChamber.com Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shield For more than 70 years, Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shield has used its knowledge and compassion to create healthcare solutions for individuals and businesses. More information at ArkansasBlueCross.com First Security is proud to be only in Arkansas. They offer smart solutions for personal and business banking, plus convenient services and community investment. First Security, member FDIC, equal housing lender. This past July, Arkansas Secretary of Commerce Mike Preston named Glenn Howie the state's new director of broadband. Howie comes to the Commerce Department from Louisiana's Office of Broadband Development and Connectivity. In a recent interview with Roby Brock, Howie offered some of his professional background in Louisiana and what some of his goals will be in Arkansas. Give uh, viewers and listeners of our program a little bit of background as to what you did in Louisiana with that state's broadband office in terms of helping get it off the ground. Yeah, so uh, prior to assuming this role as director of the Arkansas State Broadband Office, I served in the Louisiana Office of Broadband Development and Connectivity uh, for the last year. What was really interesting about that uh, process was that we essentially had to build that office from scratch. So there was a team of three, uh, Vanith Thomas and I. When we first came into office there, uh, all we had from the legislature was one small piece of legislation that sort of fit, set the foundations of a grant program, but that's all we had. So with just the three of us, we had to build it up very quickly, establish rules, establish the grant program. Um, but what we really did that was innovative there, uh, and a lot of states have sort of designed, at least until now, uh, their broadband offices were centrally grant-making organizations or grant-making bodies. And so we tried to uh, be thought leaders and be innovators in Louisiana and received a lot of pub for that nationally uh, from the Secretary Rwando at the Commerce Department down through the FCC uh, and other federal agencies. So the goal for us moving forward uh, here in Arkansas, we've done a great job. Arkansas has a great story to tell. Uh, since 2020, the office has awarded uh, $392 million in grants, which is fantastic and actually a number that would lead uh, a lot of states and lead the nation in, in the amount that we've given out. Uh, but moving forward, we have to do more than that. So uh, really, there's three pillars uh, of broadband is the way that we like to present uh, the frame and messaging moving forward. The first is infrastructure. We've done a great job on that and we'll continue to do a great job. But we also have to look at affordability and digital literacy and opportunity. So when I'm on the road and I'm talking with folks, and I've, I've said this from the very beginning, we can make Arkansas the most wired state in the country with fiber running to every single home and business across the state. But if our Kansans can't afford it, that's a problem. Yeah. Likewise, you know, we can run the fiber, we can make it free. But if our Kansans don't possess the digital uh, literacy skills that they need to properly use the internet and computer and devices, or simply don't understand the value that it can create for their lives and truly impact them, uh, we need to work on that as well. So really you have to attack all three pillars of broadband at the same time. That's what we'll do moving forward. 
let's, well, you've been on the job a whopping one month now, so right. I'm, I'm not yeah. going to expect you to have all the answers to everything on this, but you have had a chance to read through the state's broadband report that's been done. You've had that's a chance true. to assess, I would think, what would be some kind of mission critical kind of elements. And mm -hmm. among those three pillars that you just talked about right there, where do you find the state of Arkansas at this juncture? So I think the state of Arkansas is very well positioned uh, to be successful in this effort. Another thing that I tell everyone uh, when I'm speaking is that we have to think and move in a direction where we think of broadband as an all-of-state issue that requires all-of-state effort to provide all-of-state solutions. And so when you look at the infrastructure piece, and I'm sure you've looked at the report as well, we would anticipate about 110,000 or so households that remain uh, to be connected. So we have to connect those. Uh, we would anticipate you know, it's going to take about $600 million uh, to go ahead and wrap those uh, 110,000 households up and get those people connected. When you look beyond that, you can anticipate, and this is public knowledge, uh, from the infrastructure bill that will come down from Washington and those funding allocations that will be coming probably as soon as next year, uh, the state can look to receive about $1.2 billion. That would be our estimate on that funding. And so if you take about $600 million of that, that it would take to connect the estimated 110,000 households that remain, we look at the remaining $600 million or the other half that we're going to have, uh, to be really, really innovative. So you look at the three pillars, the infrastructure piece, I think we're going to get there. We'll get there soon. We have to certify uh, to the federal government that every single unserved location in this state will be connected uh, through the funds that we will receive through the infrastructure bill. So we'll take care of that. Uh, you look at the affordability piece. Um, that's going to depend on an individual person's uh, circumstances, right? But we're going to do everything we can in our power to make sure that people can afford uh, quality, uh, high-speed, internet and get that done. And then lastly, on the digital literacy and opportunity piece, I think you, looking forward, you'll see that the state is going to have statewide initiatives moving forward in every single county uh, that's going to attempt uh, the best we can to reduce the digital illiteracy rate in Arkansas by 50% over the next five years. Uh, so look, things are very exciting. Can't wait to get going. I told Alicia earlier, Alicia Curtis, who's our communications director, that after Labor Day, we're really going to start hitting the gas and getting going. So uh, good things to come. That's oh, good. Gas prices have come down a little bit. You'll, right. you'll get to go a little further with the tank. Uh, let me do a follow up with this affordability piece here. How what can you do to um, address affordability? Is that subsidizing the broadband companies and their investments so that they can keep their costs lower and offer that um, in terms of lower prices to consumers? Is it subsidies for consumers? Right. Kind of what are options on affordability? Yeah. So affordability is a very complex issue. Right. So as a sort of unregulated uh, necessity. Uh, as the internet is, right? We can't set prices. That's That would go against the law and that's undoable. So you look at the sort of unique things that you can do. So when we run our grant programs and grant applications moving forward, uh, you're going to notice that there will be an affordability component of a pricing structure and scoring metrics that we use. So as applications are graded and scored and ranked against each other, uh, in on paper, they should be able to compete against each other to bring down their prices, to gain more points in their applications, which will then have be more likely to get funded, right? So uh, if we push that piece, that should lower prices overall for consumers that are connected and are not connected today, but are connected with the infrastructure grants that we'll do moving forward. And that is Glenn Howey, and he is the state's new director of broadband. A recent broadband study commissioned by the state legislature discovered that there are approximately 110,000 households in Arkansas that lack true broadband. Officials estimate it may cost as much as $600 million to connect those homes. You can find that interview with Howie over at our sister website at talkbusiness.net.
The University of Arkansas's Greenhouse Outdoor Recreation Program will support eight companies in its fall 2022 cohort. That is double in size from its first session this spring. The business incubator is led by the Office of Entrepreneurship and Innovation and is housed at The Collaborative, the U of A's education and research hub in Bentonville. The University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences received grants from the Walmart Foundation and the Alice L. Walton Foundation to support the Northwest Arkansas Farmers Market Alliance's Double Your Dollars program. That is an initiative that provides residents access to affordable, healthy foods at farmers markets. The Walmart Foundation donated $250,000, while the Alice L. Walton Foundation gifted $100,000. And Walmart is beefing up its meat sourcing. The nation's largest grocer said last week it will acquire a minority ownership stake in Nebraska-based Sustainable Beef. That is a rancher-owned company. Walmart's investment will help the company build a new processing facility in Nebraska, and the retailer will get the majority of beef that is produced there. It is expected to open by late 2024. For all of those stories and more, visit us online at nwabusinessjournal.com, where you can follow our reporting each and every day. I'm Paul Gatling, and that's the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report. Until next time, thanks for listening. This is Ozarks at Large. The Veterans Healthcare System of the Ozarks is hosting the 2022 Health Summit a week from today. Allison Wright, a licensed certified social worker and local recovery coordinator, is coordinating the summit. The event will be at the Botanical Gardens of the Ozarks um, from 10 to 2, and there will be approximately 80 different booths of VHSO. Um, booths as well as community partners, and there will be an educational video providing information and resources about mental health services, whole health initiatives, and supportive care services at the VA. She says as many as 600 veterans, family members, and caregivers are expected to attend. Yeah, just about every program within VHSO will be present. So we'll have mental health services, whole health, uh, peer support, A lot of our nursing services will be giving flu vaccines, um, eligibility and enrollment. Um, And then in the community, um, we will have a lot of experiential activities. Equestrian Bridges is going to bring horses. Pedal It Forward will be there with bicycles. We'll have um, Healing Waters will bring kayaks and canoes. Our peer support specialists will have a meditative labyrinth. So we will have... Um, booths surrounding the gardens and veterans will be able to walk around and interact with staff and members of organizations to learn more about services and also be able to participate in activities. Organizations with a veteran focus will lead fly fishing demonstrations, yard games, therapeutic pony visits, and patriotic cupcake decorating. Student stylists from the Paul Mitchell School will offer free haircuts. The local veterans musical group Soldiers, Songs, and Voices will perform and there's a free lunch. The goal is to have um, all of the resources available so a veteran can come and learn. They can get enrolled with VHSO if they're not already. They can learn about everything that is available to them. And then in the community, they can meet other veterans and learn about supportive services and how to get connected. The 2022 Veterans Healthcare System of the Ozarks Health Summit is free. 
You can search VA Fayetteville Events to learn more. Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. Magdalene Serenity House, a nonprofit committed to helping women rebuild their lives after trauma, addiction, and incarceration, will host their inaugural event, Rebuilding Her, Thursday, September 29th from 5 to 6.30 p.m. at Mount Sequoia in Fayetteville. The event will include a five-year birthday celebration of the organization, honoring the founders of the organization and recognizing the achievements of the graduates in their recovery journeys. For more information and tickets, lovehealsnwa.org. This is Ozarks at Large. Health officials continue to monitor the number of monkeypox cases. Ozarks at Large's Rachel Sanchez-Smith this week spoke with Dr. Atul Katari, the medical director of Outbreak Prevention and Response Branch at the Arkansas Department of Health, about the status of monkeypox in the state. I think just to start off, Dr. Kathari, what do we know about monkeypox in Arkansas and about how many cases are there? Rachel, as you know, monkeypox in 2022 is a new viral disease which has come about, seen in the Western Hemisphere. And we in Arkansas have started to see a few cases as well. Uh, really, we didn't have any monkeypox cases in the Western world for the past several years. But in 2022, um, we started to see cases first in Massachusetts and then in New York and other cities back in May. Our first case was diagnosed, I believe, in early July, just before in, um, July 4th. And uh, as of this morning, I believe we have 43 confirmed cases of monkeypox in Arkansas residents. I'm curious as to who's most vulnerable to monkeypox. What Are there certain demographics or populations that should be really aware? Great question, Rachel. So this is where monkeypox 2022 is very different from what historically was seen. Um, monkeypox 2022 seems to be affecting uh, men uh, disproportionately, about 99% of cases nationally are men. And really, uh, men having sex with men is the biggest demographic or risk group which seems to be affected in this, um, in this particular outbreak. I think for exactly that reason and in the way monkeypox has been reported, uh, we've gotten a couple questions asking if monkeypox could be classified as an STD. Great question. Um, a lot of folks are thinking about it and considering that very question. What we know about the virus so far is it is spread by close personal contact. And um, there's research going on as to whether it can be transmitted. So we know that it's transmitted by skin-to-skin -skin close personal contact. What we don't know is whether it can be transmitted exclusively sexually or not. It certainly is behaving like a sexually transmissible infection, um, but it's too early to just say that it's sexually transmitted because there are other modes of transmission which are happening, which can happen as well. I'm wondering how severe monkeypox is and if there are any fatalities tied to that or um, a risk of, of death or severe case. So luckily, uh, so far as we know, there are no fatalities 
associated with monkeypox here in Arkansas. Uh, I believe there was one case reported from Texas last week, which was possibly associated with monkeypox. I don't have further information about it, but generally speaking, cases have not really required hospitalization uh, and they've been managed in the outpatient setting. Uh, we do have treatments available for it and early treatment does seem to be helpful in decreasing pain. Um, I haven't come across severe complications in cases here in Arkansas at least. And nationally, when we look at trends, again, uh, a very small percentage of cases have ended up being hospitalized. And Dr. Kathari, I'm on that topic of, of treatment and prevention. Who is eligible for these vaccines and, and how effective are they? So uh, the good thing with this current monkeypox outbreak is that there is a vaccine which uh, is about 85% effective, which is available uh, for folks who can be at risk for developing infection. Um, who's eligible for the vaccine? So essentially, people who are high-risk contacts to cases, people uh, who have uh, belong to the risk group, which is men having sex with men, with multiple sexual partners, uh, are eligible for vaccines. But here in Arkansas, we've actually expanded vaccination to what we call pre-exposure prophylaxis. So if you belong to that high-risk group where um, monkeypox can occur um, and you are advised by your healthcare provider to get a vaccine, then uh, you are eligible to get a vaccine. I would like to remind your viewers that about 40 to 50% of all cases of monkeypox are occurring in patients with HIV. And about 30% of cases have other sexually transmitted diseases as co-infections along with monkeypox. So if, if you're a, a man who is living with HIV, uh, who has multiple sexual partners, then you may be eligible for vaccination and can go to a local health unit or a site close by to get a vaccine. And I'm assuming there's information on the ADH website regarding um, testing sites, vaccination information? Yes, there is information about vaccinations. As far as testing is concerned, all the local health units uh, in Arkansas are able to test people without insurance. Uh, and we recommend that anybody who has a rash and has symptoms suggestive of monkeypox get evaluated by a healthcare provider to see whether they would be candidates for testing. Dr. Atul Kathari is the medical director of Outbreak Prevention and Response Branch at the Arkansas Department of Health. He spoke with Ozarks at Large's Rachel Sanchez-Smith earlier this week.
This is Ozarks at Large. It's a Thursday. We've got to start planning for all the live music coming up on a football game weekend to help us do that is Timothy Dennis. Hello, Timothy. Hey, Kyle. Let's start with tomorrow night. Prairie Street Live and Fables having what they're calling an end-of-summer party. They're featuring Monk is King, Circle of Thirds, and Daz and Bree. And the voices that linger in my head Aren't the only things you put into bed And I don't want to That's a pretty good triple bill. Tickets are $15 in advance. That gets underway at 7 o'clock tomorrow night. Again, that's at Prairie Street Live in Fayetteville. Also getting underway at 7 o'clock. That seems to be the magic number tomorrow night. Roots HQ in Fayetteville is going to have an LP release party for Justin Peter Kinkle Schuster. Only that you've made it worth a candle. Your love was true and you've done your best. To ease another's pain. Yes. I talked with him about the record a few months back on our show. If you want to listen to that, you can find it at our website. Again, that's ozarksatlarge.com. The LP is called No Tongue Can Tell. Tickets are $15 for that show. Again, that gets underway at 7 o'clock tomorrow night at the Roots HQ in downtown Fayetteville. Happening up the road in Bentonville, Bike Rack Brewing Company is going to have an indie and dream pop show on their patio, featuring the bands Bellwether Sirens and Olympics. is a free show on the patio and that gets underway at seven o'clock tomorrow night again at bike rack brewing company in bentonville still in bentonville tomorrow night the momentary is going to have grammy award-winning virtuoso violinist jennifer coe inside the roadhouse That's going to be so cool. She's pretty freaking incredible. Tickets are $30. Gets underway at 8 o'clock tomorrow night. Again, that's at the Momentary in Bentonville. Over in Eureka Springs, Chelsea's is going to have the Danny Spain gang in the house. They are a self-titled band of bluegrass bandits. Well, sometimes I don't know the road I'm on. I'm always down to stop singing a song, don't you ask me. Yeah, I, I kind of like the ring Good. of that. Yeah. Cover is $5 for that show. That will get underway at 9 o'clock tomorrow night, again at Chelsea's in Eureka Springs. Then down in Fort Smith, a pair of shows that you should be aware of. Dylan Wheeler is going to be on stage at Majestic. He's a Texas-based singer-songwriter. Tickets are $12 today, go up to $15 tomorrow. That'll get underway at 8 o'clock again at the Majestic in Fort Smith. 
And then Temple Live in Fort Smith is going to have more of a contemporary country show. They only have a few tickets left for this. It's Warren Zedens and Ben Burgess on the bill. The few tickets that are left are $20. Again, that gets underway at 8 o'clock tomorrow night at Temple Live in Fort Smith. Okay, moving ahead to Saturday, Kingfish in Fayetteville is going to have Vintage Pistol on their outside stage. 17, you know she moved upstate, had a scholarship to go to school. He moved up late, and when they started the date, she knew she was nobody's fool. Well, it hit the fair when it joined the band. All right. It's, it's not football season until Vintage Pistol does a rock and roll show at Kingfish, I feel like. Agreed, agreed. That show gets underway at 9 o'clock Saturday night, again at Kingfish in Fayetteville. Moving up to Bentonville, Meteor Guitar Gallery is going to have a show featuring the Kurt Allen Band and Nate Hancock. Well, that's going to be a great show. Tickets are $10 in advance. Go up to $15 on Saturday. That gets underway at 8 o'clock Saturday night. Again, at Meteor Guitar Gallery in Bentonville. Over at the farm in Eureka Springs Saturday night, they are going to have a release party for Sky Pollard's new EP. Tickets are $30 in advance. They go up to $35 on Saturday, but camping is included in that admission. The bill is going to feature, obviously, Sky Pollard, Dominic B. Roy, Magnolia Brown, Chucky Wags, Family Holler, and Eureka Strings is playing the after party. Wow. 30 bucks gets you that and a tent, a place to put your tent. Exactly. And all of those festivities get underway at 5 o'clock Saturday evening at the farm in Eureka Springs. Also Saturday night in Eureka Springs, Got a Hole Brewing is going to have Wiley Bigger on stage. If you don't know who that is, he's a Memphis-based blues and rock and roll artist. That show gets underway at 6 o'clock Saturday, again at Gotthold Brewing in Eureka Springs. Then down in Winslow, Saturday night, the Creek Rocks are going to play a set at Ozark Folkways. Like a winsome little fairy with her steps so light and merry round the cottage she is splitting all the day. And the music of her singing like the wild bird notes are ringing. It echoes through well, that's pretty cool. Should be a nice outdoor show. Weather is getting really nice in the evenings. Yeah, I looked. The Saturday night forecast calls for a low of 63. I think the Saturday afternoon highs are mid-80s, so pretty nice. Mm, that's that's pretty near perfect in my book. Yeah. $10 at the door supports the Creek Rocks and Ozark Folkways. That show gets underway at 6 o'clock Saturday evening, again at Ozark Folkways in Winslow. And then jumping ahead to Tuesday. Tuesday night seems to be a hot night for some reason. Starting in Rogers, Butterfield Stage is going to present a concert from the Heritage High School Orchestra. They're calling it the Heritage High School Orchestra Folk Fest. And they have guests Mariachi Akias de Huera joining them. That's Tuesday night. That's Tuesday night. It is free. We'll get underway at 6 o'clock. Again, that's at Butterfield Stage in Rogers. Of course, in Fayetteville, J.J.'s Live Tuesday night is going to have the Mountain Goats on stage. Right. 
Tickets are $39.50 in advance, go up to $45 on Tuesday. Gets underway at 7 o'clock. Again, that's at JJ's Live in Fayetteville. And then George's in Fayetteville Tuesday night is going to have a band by the name of Magic City Hippies. They are a Miami-based funk band that kind of fuses bits of hip-hop and soul into their music. by the Tennessee-based band Okie Dokie. And tickets for that show are $20. Gets underway at 8.30 next Tuesday at George's in Fayetteville. Tuesday's the new Friday. I'm down with it, as long as I can uh, come in to work late on Wednesday. Yeah, Wednesday morning is not the new Saturday morning, however. No, unfortunately not. It's the new Monday morning, it feels like. Yeah, right. Wow, that's a packed week. Yeah, and there's more, as always, at our website, ozarksatlarge.com. Timothy Dennis gives us the Thursday rundowns almost every week on Ozarks at Large. Thank you, Timothy. Thank you, Kyle. Hi, I'm Matthew Moore, a reporter and producer for Ozarks at Large. There's no match for the daily rewards of KUAF and NPR, keeping you informed, inspired, and connected. And there's no match for the power your support has to make them possible. You can be a part of our fall fundraiser and power your public radio station. Give at support KUAF. Dot com. Thanks. Thank you, Matthew Moore. And thank you, Matthew Moore. You're here with me in the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio. Hi, Kyle. Hello. So we have an addendum to yesterday's reporting. Uh, we had our interview with uh, Washington County Judge Joseph Wood. Part of Undisciplined's latest episode. Absolutely. Where we called Joseph Wood the first black county judge in Arkansas. Turns out Joseph Wood is actually not the first black county judge in Arkansas. Uh, in Clark County, Arkansas, in the early 1990s, Mabel Henry was actually the first black county judge in the state. A uh, listener reached out to us at info at KUAF.com. If you ever think we get a story wrong, let us know. Uh, and I heard from Sandra Blanton, who's the executive assistant in Clark County, who says that a new county judge was elected in the early 1990s, and the lame duck judge, Frank Taylor, resigned following the election. After Frank Taylor resigned, they appointed his administrative assistant, uh, and she was in office for about two weeks until the newly elected, the quorum court could go on and appoint the newly elected judge to take the place. They had to have somebody that was legal to sign claims and pay bills and and that kind of thing, and they had um, they just appointed... Miss Henry, because she was familiar with the whole process. And so, as we hear, uh, Mabel Henry was the first black county judge. She was appointed by justices of the peace in Clark County, Arkansas. But we can make the distinction that Joseph Wood was the first elected black county judge in the state of Arkansas. You know how I love minutia in history. It's delightful. It is. And, you know... I love learning new things like this. This is one of the reasons that doing this job is so wonderful, to hear someone to say, well, actually, this is kind of not true. I, this was the most delightful email to get in my inbox first thing this morning to see and to be able to like trace this down, to track it down, to hear from, you know, this is in Arkadelphia, which last I checked is not within our FM radio listening area, but it just goes to show how That's people right. love to listen. 
and uh, wherever and so, they are. And so we're really grateful to that listener for reaching out to us and giving us a little bit more of a nuanced detail about county judges here in Arkansas. New idea for regular feature. Well, actually, <laughs> <laughs> I'm here for it. <laughs> Matthew Moore, thank you so much. Thanks, Kyle. Associate Professor at the University of Arkansas Music Department, expanding our musical boundaries with Sound Perimeter. We open Sound Perimeter today with Duke Ellington's Echoes of Harlem, performed by the Westerlies in a live concert at the University of South Carolina as part of the new music series Southern Exposure. I happened to be in town attending a conference and was able to be in this concert. I so enjoyed the dynamism and virtuosism of the Westerlies, a group that, according to NPR Music, quote, explores jazz, roots, and chamber music influences to create the rarest of hybrids, music that is both folk-like and composerly, lovely and intellectually rigorous, end quote. <laughs>
That was Duke Ellington's Echoes of Harlem, performed by the Westerlies, an unconventional brass quartet based in New York, formed by childhood friends from Seattle, Riley Muhelkar and Chloe Rowland in the trumpets, and Andy Clausen and Willem de Kuch in the trombones, in a live performance at the University of South Carolina. In this same concert, the Westerlies performed their own arrangement of Entract, a work originally written for string quartet by American composer and Pulitzer Prize winner Caroline Shaw. That was my first time encountering this piece, and I fell in love with it. I am so thankful to the Westerlies for allowing me to listen to their version and for expanding my musical boundaries with a now new favorite piece. Caroline Shaw wrote Untracked in 2011, inspired by a minuet from Joseph Haydn's Quartet, Opus 77, Number 2. Let us listen to the Attacka Quartet playing the beginning of Caroline Shaw's original version of Untracked from a 2018 Colorado Public Radio live performance. We listened to an excerpt from Untracked, a piece for a string quartet by violinist, singer, and composer Caroline Shaw from Greenville, North Carolina, whom in 2013 was the youngest ever recipient of the Pulitzer Prize for Music for her Partita for Eight Voices. Discovering Untracked through the Westerlies took me to explore further Shaw's career, music, and collaborations. And we close sound perimeter today with the result of that chain reaction. Caroline Shaw's remix of Kanye West's song Say You Will, where she adds her own vocal and violin tracks. The power of music that takes you to more music and then to other musics. I really hope you enjoy. This is Leah Uribe, Associate Professor at the University of Arkansas Music Department, expanding our musical boundaries with Sound Perimeter. 
Sound Perimeter is a segment dedicated to diverse voices in and around music. I hope it will expand your knowledge and connection to inclusive sounds and let music infiltrate your lives and transform your realities. See you soon. Why would she make calls out the blue? Now I'm awake, sleeping soon. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fortsmouth, Bentonville, and Clark County. Hello, fans in Arkadelphia. Thanks for listening, however you are listening. KUAF is a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Contributors this Thursday included Anna Pope, Rachel Sanchez-Smith, Leah Uribe, Paul Gatling, Timothy Dennis, produced today's show and today's edition of Sound Perimeter. Jacqueline Froelich provided the sound and information about next week's VA Health Summit. That takes place one week from today. Additional content for the show arrived from KUAR, Public Radio for Central Arkansas and Little Rock. Pete Hartman is KUAF's Operations Manager. Our theme is written and performed by Daryl Sean. Many afternoons you can find Daryl performing live on his Facebook and Instagram feed, occasionally even taking requests. We're back with you tomorrow on 91.3 FM or on your smart speaker by saying, please play KUAF or later, please play Ozarks at Large to hear the most recent edition of our show. You can also use the free KUAF app for iPhone and iPad. And there is an Ozarks at Large podcast. And you can always go to OzarksAtLarge.com. From the Carver Center for Public Radio in downtown Fayetteville, I'm Kyle Kellums. We'll talk again soon.